So there once were two young brothers who got into a fight one day, and it was a knockdown, dragout fight. And the youngest of the brothers was still fuming when it was time to go to bed. But his mother really wanted to help him calm down. So she referenced that passage in the book of Ephesians where Paul instructed us to not let the sun go down in our anger. And she tried to talk to him about the meaning of that passage. And that little boy just looked at her with distraught eyes and said, Mom, how in the world am I going to keep the sun from setting? Have you ever been so angry that you said or did something illogical? Have you ever been so angry that it was impossible for you to be pleased? Have you ever been so angry that you ignored your spiritual convictions? And have you ever been so angry that you took your frustration out on someone who was innocent? If you could answer yes to any of those questions, well, welcome to the end of Jonah. Now, you may have thought we concluded our study of Jonah a couple of weeks ago, because a couple of weeks ago we concluded in Jonah chapter 3 with the repentance of the city of Nineveh, and their salvation at the hands of a merciful God. You may have thought that's where the story of Jonah ends because when we teach it in our Bible classes and when we present it at vacation Bible schools and when it's presented in the context of a children's story, that's usually where we draw the end of the story. But there is a fourth chapter to Jonah. And the fourth chapter does not have the happily ever after that the third chapter does. When you wrap the story up in the third chapter, the beautiful thing is Jonah's finally been obedient, the people of Nineveh have been saved, and everyone's happy. But then when you cross that line into chapter 4, it just doesn't make sense. It does not wrap up as a good story. But we can't ignore the fourth chapter because it's there for a reason. So let's start this evening by reading Jonah chapter 4. I invite you to read along with me. It's 10 verses long. But this is what Jonah chapter 4 tells us. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Well, Jonah went out of the city and set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a, a plant and made it Come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live, but 
But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. That's the end of Jonah. It doesn't wrap up the way we want stories to wrap up. It doesn't have that wonderful ending that a Disney movie makes so memorable. But it's still a chapter in God's inspired word that can teach us. And I want us to consider as we get started this evening is why is Jonah angry? You have to venture back one verse from the start of chapter 4 into the third chapter to really get a context for his anger. Because if you go back to Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10, you find out that uh, the Lord relented of the disaster that he has said he would do to Nineveh, and he did not do it. And then in chapter 4 and verse 1, it picks up by saying, this displeased Jonah, and he was angry. So Jonah's anger is at God. Jonah is angry with the Lord. But why is he angry with the Lord? I think in the the easiest summary I could come up with is he's angry at God because he doesn't like what God is like. He's angry with God because he doesn't like what God is like. He doesn't like some of the characteristics, some of the attributes, some of the nature of who God is because it doesn't fall in line with his own character, his own nature, and his own desires. For one thing, I think he's angry because God is slow. God is too slow for him. Now, what I mean by that has to go back to his description of God in verse 2 of Jonah chapter 4. O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah is in effect saying, I knew this would happen. The reason I didn't want to accept this assignment in the first place is because I knew you would show mercy. I knew you would be slow to anger. I knew you would spare the Ninevites. See, Jonah likely knew his Old Testament well enough to know that if Nineveh would repent, then God would relent. That's because God is frequently described throughout our Bibles as one who is slow to anger. God described himself this way in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. He said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Where do you think Jonah got his quote? Moses then quoted God's own self-revelation in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 18 as he interceded for the Israelites. 
And Moses said this, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. In one of his prayers, recorded in Psalm chapter 86 and verse 15, David said, You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then in one of his songs, it's Psalm 145 and verse 8, David said, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. David also wrote Psalm chapter 103 where he said, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So throughout our Old Testament, throughout the law, and throughout the history of Israel, it has repeatedly been communicated that God is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And Jonah knew that. That's why he declared that about God in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2. You know, oftentimes, oftentimes we conclude that Jesus came to help us get a complete picture of God. Whether we do it intentionally or unintentionally, we tend to view the, the God of the Old Testament very one-dimensionally. The flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and even striking of Uzzah, all of those events cause us to view the Old Testament God as Jealous and vindictive and relishing the role of a judge. And then Jesus comes along and, and he's loving and forgiving and great with kids. So we conclude that Jesus came to help us get a, a more complete picture of who God is. We, we have this inherent ability to see two different deities based on the Testaments. But that that loving, forgiving, great with children God didn't just arrive in the New Testament. He's always been there. Old Testament stories like what happened in Nineveh exist to reveal that very side of God. Did you notice in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 11, the very, the very end of the book, the very last verse of the book, did you notice that God pointed out to Jonah, that there were more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? That euphemism was likely God's way of saying they're just kids. There's more than 120,000 children in there, and I care about them. And even if it's not a reference to kids, it's a reference to souls. You see, God wasn't converted to love in the New Testament, that love has always been a part of who he is. That's why when John writes his first letter, he defines God as God is love, because he's always been love. He didn't just come to learn love when Jesus came to this earth. He's always been full of love and compassion. And Jonah knew that. 
Jonah knew that's why he was slow to anger. Jonah knew that God was a God who loved people, and so he's going to be patient with people even when Jonah doesn't want him to be patient. But even though Jonah intellectually knew that, he didn't really like it. He really wanted God to reflect himself more. Jonah wanted God to be a bit more like him. And when it came to somebody as horrible as the Ninevites, they don't deserve love. They don't deserve mercy. They don't deserve God's slowness of anger. And that leads us into the other thing that I believe Jonah was angry about with God. The other thing he didn't like about God. I think he thought God was too liberal. Now, listen. I know that by putting that on the screen, you're ready to pick up stones and throw them at me. But let me explain. You know, back when we started this series on Jonah, we talked about why Jonah rejected God's assignment. The reason Jonah rejected God's assignment was because of his personal disdain for Nineveh. You see, Jonah was an Israelite. Assyria was his nation's enemy. Jonah was from the northern kingdom, the kingdom that would eventually fall to the Assyrian Empire, whose capital was in Nineveh. Jonah likely prophesied a few decades prior to that conquest. But he may have experienced Assyria's power and terror and wickedness during his own lifetime. I mentioned a few weeks back that Nahum's entire prophecy was against the wickedness of Nineveh. Nahum describes Nineveh as a bloody city full of lies and plunder, with hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. Jonah was probably familiar with that depiction of Nineveh. And so Jonah was uncomfortable with those non-Jewish, uncircumcised, unrighteous heathens receiving God's grace. For Jonah, showing grace to the Assyrians was scandalous. Now, if you look up that word scandalous, you will find definitions like improper, shameful, disgraceful. Jonah's actions and Jonah's mindsets are that of someone who thinks that it's improper, shameful, and disgraceful for someone not like him to receive the same benefits as him. In other words, I think that Jonah thought God was too liberal in his grace-giving, that God's love should have been more discriminatory. Look again at Jonah's prayer in chapter 4 and verse 2. Oh Lord, I knew that you are a gracious God. Jonah acknowledges that God is gracious, but Jonah is opposed to God's grace 
under these circumstances. What I mean is he's opposed to God's grace being liberally poured out on those undeserving Ninevites. They should not get the same grace that I get is the mentality he's demonstrating. See, here's the thing. Jonah doesn't have a problem with grace. Jonah needed grace. When he was in the belly of the fish, he loved grace. He wanted grace. He needed grace. Jonah's problem is not with the existence of God's grace. Jonah's problem is with the application of that grace to other people that he doesn't think deserve it. See, Jonah kind of reminds me of that elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. In that story that the younger brother goes off and lives a sinful life in a faraway country, kind of, kind of reminiscent of Nineveh. And when he comes back to his father, his father is so patient, so gracious, so loving. Throws a huge celebration for the return of this son who wandered off. And the older brother was mad. But he wasn't mad at his little brother. Who was he mad at? He was mad at his father. He was mad at his father for not being more discriminating when it came to his love. The older brother's thinking, I've stayed here. I've been faithful. I've done what's right. My brother who ran away doesn't deserve the love and the grace and the mercy that I do. That's the mentality I see in Jonah. At the root of Jonah's mindset is actually a double standard, though. Because the very grace he needs is the grace he thinks others don't deserve. And he needs that grace just as much as they do. And he doesn't deserve that grace just like they don't. In James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, James says, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. James indicates in that passage that committing adultery is just as wrong as committing murder. Because both sins result in the same consequence, a transgression of the law. And so James's comparison illustrates an important biblical truth. And that truth is that it doesn't matter what sin you commit because all sins are created equal. No matter what sin you commit, you're guilty of transgressing the law and you automatically enter a category where you need grace and you don't deserve it. That's hard for our minds to wrap around because we live in a fairness-driven society. Our culture values fairness highly. Grace will never be fair. And therefore, it will always be difficult for us to wrap our minds around. 
Because it's not about what you deserve. It's not about what you earn. It's about what God freely gives. And Jonah is struggling with that. Because while it's okay in his mind for him to receive it, it's not okay for the Ninevites to receive it. So Jonah is out there having a pout fest. You realize that? Chapter 4 ends with him having proclaimed the good news to Nineveh, having watched them repent, having known of God's relenting, and he still goes and sets up camp outside the town to see if the possibility might come that God brings down vengeance on them. He wants to be a spectator for their destruction if it's at all possible that destruction comes. How horrible is that? This is a prophet of God who so wants these people to be destroyed that he goes and tailgates next door. And while out there, God decides to teach Jonah a lesson. Up springs this plant that gives him shade and makes it comfortable existing out there in his little makeshift tent for one day. The next morning, God sends a worm, devours the plant, and God sends this scorching heat that is burdening Jonah. And all Jonah can do is the same thing he's done this whole time. Complain that everything's unfair. See, this guy finally finds brief happiness. The guy who's been miserable for four chapters finds brief happiness because of a shade tree that he had nothing to do with. That sprung up overnight. But as soon as it was gone, he goes back to being miserable. And God used that plant and that worm to confront Jonah's anger. And God doesn't confront Jonah's anger to save Nineveh. He confronts Jonah's anger to save Jonah. The first three chapters, everything is about the saving of Nineveh. Chapter 4 is all about the saving of Jonah. Because people far away from God who don't know God need saving. But sometimes people who think they are saved need saving too. And God has grace for both. God will extend his grace to the unrighteous and to the self-righteous equally if both if either will repent. And that's what Jonah needs here. The problem for Jonah was that Jonah wanted God to be like him. Jonah wanted God to be more reflective of who he was. Jonah wanted God to embody his standards and his will and his interests, but that's not the way it works. Throughout the Bible, we are constantly called to be like God, not for God to be like us. 
So you can come across John chapter 13 and verse 15. After washing the disciples' feet, Jesus said, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Or Luke chapter 6 and verse 36, where Jesus said, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Or Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, where Paul told us to have the same attitude, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, where we're instructed to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Or 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, where we're told that as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. And we're specifically instructed in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 to be imitators of God as beloved children. Just a handful of passages, all of which are saying it's our responsibility to imitate him. Not him imitate us, us imitate him. And you see, here's the ultimate problem. What One preacher pointed out, that one of the greatest ironies in all of creation is the fact that God made us in his image. And ever since we were made, we've been trying to make him in ours. And the fact that God is not like Jonah made Jonah angry. So God used a vine and a worm to remind Jonah that Jonah's not in control. God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah said yes, but God showed him he was incorrect. The sad thing is we never get the end of Jonah's story. We got the end of Nineveh's story, at least temporarily. At the end of chapter 3, they repented. Salvation came to them. But we never find out if Jonah repented. We never find out if Jonah corrected himself. Humbled himself. Surrendered himself. We never find that out. And I think Jonah's story is there as a warning for you and I. A warning for us to not try to make God in our image. A warning for us to realize that we're just as capable of being lost as anyone else, even though we already know who God is. A warning that if we desire salvation, it means we not only have to like what God is like, but we also have to try to be more like him. The end of Jonah's story is a complicated one and not necessarily an enjoyable one. But it's a story that is there for our benefit because all too often we're just like Jonah. And this evening... The invitation is extended. If you find yourself trying to make God in your image, if you find yourself operating from a double standard like Jonah did when it comes to God's love and God's grace and God's mercy,
if you find yourself in any state in which you need grace, well, now is the opportunity to discover it. If you're lost like the people of Nineveh and you have never had your sins forgiven, that can be accomplished this evening by confessing that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God, repenting of your sins and being immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. And tonight, if you find yourself like Jonah, stuck in your own self-righteousness, tonight there's an opportunity to repent and turn back to God as well. If you have any need to respond to the invitation, we invite you to come. While together we stand and sing.